0: Major League Baseball's All-Star Game is less than a week away. It is the unofficial midway point of the season, the Midsummer Classic, a time for the game's brightest stars to shine together on one field. This year's festivities will be taking place in Seattle. And it brings us back to another time the Emerald City played host to the All-Star Game, 1979. I was nine years old. My father was covering the game. And a friend had enlisted his help. His name was Barry Bremen, and he was most definitely not a major leaguer. But to understand how Barry got onto the field that night, disguised as a New York Yankee, you have to, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. No, the story of Barry Bremen is too long. It's too unbelievable to be easily summarized. So today, we once again bring you part one of the story of Barry Bremen, the great imposter. This is a conversation I had with Pablo Torre last summer. Enjoy. I'm Jeremy Schapp. It's Monday, July 3rd. This is ESPN Daily.
1: Jeremy Shap, hello. Hello, Pablo. You're here to tell us a story that I am struggling already to encapsulate in a sentence. So, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so,
0: where, where are we starting this, Jeremy? Where does the story begin? So, Pablo, uh, I guess I guess we start in 1979 at the NBA All Star Game. This this uh, era in which you had Moses Ballone and Julius Irving and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And there's a young player taking place in his first All-Star game, Otis Birdsong, from the Kansas City Kings.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, let us now meet the Western Conference All-Star, making his first All-Star game a second-year pro from the Kansas City Kings, 6'4", Otis Birdsong.
0: And... He described the atmosphere to me as really electric.
3: It was just unbelievable. The atmosphere, sellout crowd.
0: A terrific environment for this game.
3: I was second year into the league, still young and excited to be around all those great players. Reema Abdul-Jabbar and Moses Malone will jump it up. I was the only Kansas City Kings player selected to participate in the NBA All-Star Game that year.
0: And at halftime, Otis Birdsong finds himself in the locker room. He finds himself alone in the locker room. Just happened to be the last guy walking out for the warm-ups before the second half. And suddenly, the door to one of the bathroom stalls opens.
3: This guy comes out of the bathroom stall, and he has on a Kansas City Kings
0: warm-up suit. I mean, here's what's interesting. It wasn't someone he knew. It was someone he did not know wearing a Kansas City Kings warm-up suit. Someone he had never seen before in his life. And and remember, you know, it, it's hard to imagine a world, right? 1979, not like today. You couldn't just go on Amazon and order a Kansas City Kings warm-up suit. You couldn't go buy one at the team store. But
1: there is a real, like, 70s a Jackie Moon energy to the wardrobe that you're describing.
0: That's exactly right. You know, it's got tear-off pants, and they're kind of like, I don't know if it's velour, you know, and stripes up and down, and the whole thing, it's very Jackie Moon. And uh, Otis obviously uh, says to himself, like, uh, who are you? You know, I don't (laughs) think you play for the Kings. He introduces himself. He said,
3: Otis, my name is Barry and I need your help.
0: And this guy says, my name is Barry Bremen. I'm an imposter. I've got a bet going with my friends. Will you help me? Will you help me get onto the court, participate in the warmups before the second half, take some shots, get into the layup line, throw some passes around. And so Otis Birdsong,
1: young Otis Birdsong, is again in the bathroom and this guy is saying all of this to him. Right.
0: And his, and his response is what? His, his response isn't, I'm getting security. You know, his response isn't like, get the hell out of here. You know, there's some lunatic in the locker room. He says, I'm like, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm in. I'm a jokester. And, you know, I, I asked Otis birdsong why you would have that reaction he's like well there was just kind of a look about him he had this confidence and he was a good-looking guy and i just i just you know basically he didn't think he was a serial killer and he was like yeah yeah of course why wouldn't i help you so after enlisting the assistance of one otis Birdsong, barry bremen goes out onto the court As a Western Conference all-star.
3: We get in the layup line, and I let him get in front of me. Sure enough, he he goes
0: in and starts shooting layups. And, you know, there are these legends, these future Hall of Famers, all-time greats. They're on the court, too, warming up for the second half. Brent Musburger is calling the play-by-play. He's looking around. He's looking at his scorecard. Huh?
2: Thief. Over at the scoring table is a gentleman dressed in a warm-up suit from the Kansas City Kings who came out as an additional man, and he was shooting layups.
0: But, but nobody kicked him out, uh, kicked him off the court. He 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 was out there. He was taking shots. He was in the layup line. At first, it was a little shocked that what
3: is this guy doing? But it's hilarious because no one is stopping him.
0: You know, you know, guys are laughing. You know, first, it's like these double takes, right? You know, like, huh? Huh? What? Who? And then, you know, you don't want to be embarrassed. Right. Side, who would you know, you're possibly,
1: never- who'd possibly be doing this if they weren't actually a Kansas City kid? He went over to the
2: huddle and Dick Mata looked up and said, I don't want to be rude, but who are you? <laughs>
0: and uh, finally, somebody says, uh, "I, I don't think you should be here.
2: He was an imposter. They
0: had to escort him off the floor. It's not like, um, you know, they send in the SWAT team to grab him off the court. Somebody says, yeah, no, not you. And he's like, all right, I'm done. That was it.
3: Eventually, someone found out that he was an imposter.
1: But the craziest thing about this,
0: Jeremy, is that this was Merely the beginning This was uh, the very beginning of the story of Barry Bremen, the great imposter And as the great imposter, Bremen would achieve uh, more than a modicum of celebrity in his time
2: Barry Bremen has struck again
0: He was an imposter,
2: an insurance salesman who won a $300 bet by posing as a pro basketball player
4: Brent Musburger looks at me and his facial expression with his eyes like came out of his head and said, who the
2: hell is he? Yeah. Bremen, the great
4: imposter is at it again.
2: Passing himself off this time as a professional golfer.
4: What is, uh, what is this Barry? This is right before I teed off the US Open in Inverness. I played nine holes. And uh, I parted the first three holes. I mean, I was terrific. Barry Bremen, ladies and gentlemen, the great imposter. I'm Barry Bremen. Hi. I'm an imposter. I get a chance maybe to play a little bit, and then I go home with my three kids, and I'm Barry Bremen again.
0: And it's, it's a remarkable story in and of itself, but after all these years, it turns out that the most remarkable part of Barry Bremen's story is about something else entirely. It's about family and it's about fame and it's about chutzpah and identity. And it's about the greatest reveal of all fashioned by the great imposter.
5: Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely. Drake wisely. Jeremy, it often feels
1: like this show mostly just exists to mine stories from your incredibly unusual childhood, right? Because you grew up the son of a legend yourself, right? I mean, Dick Shap is this mythological figure to people who do journalism and storytelling and the sort of stuff that you and I do now.
0: You know, my dad was a terrific reporter. He was a best-selling author. He was a figure on network television. So people knew him. But he knew people. He knew everybody. And uh, and he reveled in it. And he, he liked to talk about collecting people. Mm. That was his hobby. Yeah, the way it's put in the film, Jeremy, is
1: that your living room, your dad's living room was this salon for bold-faced names for Hall of Famers of all kinds.
0: Yeah, no, and, and it it really was, you know, Will Chamberlain was at the house or, you know, Muhammad Ali was at the house, Tom Seaver, you know, and Earl Monroe and Phil Jackson and the Knicks of that era in New York and the Mets of that era, Joe Namath. And these people were legends uh, and they were also just, you know, the guy having dinner at our house. so I grew up around that.
1: Yeah, Jeremy, I'm sorry. I just can't get my head around the image of a little tiny, teeny Jeremy (laughs) Schaap hanging out with (laughs) the Big Dipper. But this film that you've made for E60, The Great Imposter and Me, as it's titled, it is about one of those people who came through the Schaap living room, somebody who I think most listeners... Won't know about, but someone who you say was actually more interesting than all of those Hall of Famers, all of those legends you just graciously name dropped for us.
0: I, I try.
1: And this guy's name is Barry Brevin. So tell us Barry's origin story and where the Barry Bremen story begins.
0: So Barry is, by the time he enters my father's life in 1979, he's... A guy from suburban Detroit in his early 30s with a family of three, raising a family in the suburbs, a very conventional existence, working in insurance. And he had grown up in the Detroit suburbs and he'd gone off to Michigan State and he met the woman who would become his wife, Margot. And uh, so he was on this path. It's a little late mid century, but kind of a, a conventional path. Of fatherhood and marriage and work and and nine to five and commuting a few miles into the city. But you know, there was there was nothing about this this path on paper that would suggest that he was heading anywhere unusual.
1: Yeah, and and he's a dad. I mean, you interviewed his whole family for this film, and his wife, Margot, describes him how.
0: Well, Margot said when she first met him, you know, she saw this guy that she thought was attractive and full of life. I'm sure, Margot, you had many suitors. Why did you choose Barry?
6: (laughs) Tall, dark, and handsome. Wait a minute, Jeremy, it was the chemistry. It's always about the chemistry.
0: He's one of those people with a certain magnetism and charisma who just stood out wherever he was. And part of it is, you know, he was... um, Kind of a good looking guy, tall guy, like six foot four, athletic, who just uh, immediately lit up a room and stood out. And that was her experience from the first time she met him.
6: I was a very serious young lady. And Barry was not particularly serious. But he made me laugh. There just was a magic about him.
1: And so he has his wife. They have their house. They're living this very, as you said, like, model mid-century kind of existence. and And then, when do the kids factor into the picture?
0: From the beginning, Barry wanted to be a dad. He was in a rush, even, to be a dad. And very quickly, they um they start having kids, and their oldest is Noah. You can say whatever you want about my dad, but nobody loved life more than he did and lived it, period. And then uh, a couple of years later, Adam follows, and a few years after that, their daughter Erin.
6: I don't know anybody who didn't like him. They may have thought that he was a lot because of his personality um, or how loud he was, but that's endearing and people love that about my dad.
0: So two boys and a girl. And their personalities in many ways would turn out to be a lot like Barry's. And, and Adam, who has cerebral palsy, uh, you know, in some ways I think that bond with his dad and what was required because he had and has cerebral palsy and, and that connection was remarkably strong. So Adam, what kind of relationship did you have with your dad? He was the greatest... <laughs> We always had
7: a love for sports. We just, um, I remember every Sunday we'd sit down on the couch. We'd watch the Lions lose week after week. And we would say, damn it, these Lions stink.
1: And so how would you describe Barry Bremen's parenting style, Jeremy?
0: You know, over the top, uh, (laughs) I think is one way involved, loving, caring, supportive, but also, frankly, uh, in some ways, bizarre because he had this big personality and it was always trying to find ways to express itself. You know, he, he would go to a store, like when the Warner Brothers store in the neighborhood in Detroit was going out of business, he'd go to the store and he bought these giant, life-size like plastic figures of Batman and Superman initially it was Superman I remember he loved Superman and it's Superman you know flying through the air with one arm out you know and the other one tucked into his chest and you know it's kind of funny right like maybe if you're a Superman fan I don't know maybe you put it in your basement if you have like a little you know uh you know sports area where you watch shows maybe something he put it into pablo the structure of the house
7: he had hired these people to hang this big statue of superman shooting out of our brick wall colonial house it was just amazing and neighbors and police officers would come by they would stop they would point they would ask questions i mean you gotta admit though that was funny who the hell would do that
1: And so this dad, who's like that guy, who is that dad, the guy around whom hijinks seem to ensue. How does he carry himself at his real job when he's at work?
0: It was torture. You know, it was it was kind of torture being an insurance agent for him. And so he found a job that suited him better. He became a product representative. I think that's what they call it. This was like being a salesman for sometimes weird, wacky products and going to trade shows and that kind of stuff. And um, that would give him a little bit more of a taste, I think, of the human connection he was looking for in his job. But we have this video of him at a trade show.
4: Um, tell me about this product as compared to Rubbermaid. Is it a better product it's for no, storage? It's no good. No good. <laughs> <laughs> good to see you.
0: But it's still not enough, right? There was still something inside. There was a performance artist. Jeremy, he's carrying around a
1: camcorder, I guess, like at these things. Like these right. are videos that he was filming
0: himself. Yeah, no, he he's uh, he was hungry for celebrity and stardom and attention.
4: We have Herb Pinskaw. How are you doing, Herb?
0: How long have you been coming to these shows, Herb? My favorite uh, part of that, that clip is is the guy where Barry asks him, "So how long have you been coming to these trade shows?" And he he could not look more miserable. Uh, he, <laughs> he looks like he's in the Battle of the Somme, and he and he just deadpans about 112 years.
4: How long have you been coming to these shows? About 112 years. You look marvelous, Herb. Really serious. You really do.
0: And so this
1: performance artist who is trapped in the body of a product representative. At what point does that guy break free, Jeremy? When does he seek this national wider audience for his art?
0: Well, you know, like so many of these things, right? It's kind of like an epiphany. And, you know, he's at um, the West Bloomfield Jewish Community Center, uh, you know, a likely place for something like this to happen. <laughs> and he's playing basketball with his buddies, including, was a guy named Billy Barris, whom I've also known for a long time.
2: We're playing in a basketball league at Jewish Community Center
0: and talking about the All-Star game coming up. And, and Barry mentions to them that he had, on an impulse, swiped a Kansas City Kings warm-up suit at a game earlier. (laughs) And, and, you know, there was something in his brain that was starting to click. And so now he's got this warm-up suit and he's playing basketball. He's telling the guys that he did this and they start talking. It's not exactly clear. Like many of these things lost through the mists of time who first suggested it. They said, Hey, the all-star game. They were talking about the all-star game. It's here in Detroit.
2: Barry says to a few of us, I'm thinking about crashing this all-star game.
0: wouldn't it be something if you use that warm-up suit to get onto the court at the all-star game and do something whether it's in warm-ups whether it's the game you know basically make a spectacle of yourself at the all-star game and barry says well i can make that happen i'll bet you guys that i can get onto the court and be part of the warm-ups my friend mel said well I'll tell you what, if you can get onto the floor and at least shoot a basket, I'll give you $100. And the guys say, no way, there's no way, blah, blah, blah. And they end up making a bet. His friends, Mel Fink and Billy Barris, some other guys. I said, all right, I'm in for another 100 If you get on the court and you actually take a shot you have to take a shot and then we said whoa whoa, whoa. you got to get onto the court and you have to at least shoot one shot you can't get you know pulled off the court before you are you know participating then you win this money
2: if you get caught while you're walking in or whatever you lose the bet
0: barry was just waiting he had been waiting his whole life <laughs> for a moment such as this
2: steve over at the scoring table is a gentleman dressed in a warm-up suit <laughs> from the Kansas City Kings, who came out as an additional man, and he was shooting layups.
1: Jeremy, it is important for us to point out now that, like, sports, as you well know, can be extremely humorless (laughs) about operations like the one that you've just described here, especially now, obviously. But at the time, how did Barry Bremen's stunt go over with people, like, around the industry?
0: It was a sensation. It was what? Did that really just happen? Did Brent Musburger just really say there's a guy on the court taking warm ups, shooting around who shouldn't be there?
2: He went over to the huddle, and Dick Motto looked up and said, I don't want to be rude, but who are you? It was an imposter. They had to
0: escort him off the floor. And people just got very excited about it, not just locally in Detroit. But, you know, it, it, it aroused the storytelling instincts of a reporter in New York, uh, namely Dick Schapp, who who loved this kind of stuff and said to himself immediately, Barry Bremen, he's my kind of guy. This is my kind of story.
2: <laughs> his name is Barry Bremen. He is 31. He is our sportsman of the week. And he is sitting next to me wearing his warm-up uniform. Barry, how did you get on the court at the All-Star Game?
4: we had it planned that when the players were coming out of the tunnel that i would sneak i had an overcoat covering this top part and i had levi's covering the bottom pants
1: and at this point barry bremen is just off and running right like this is the moment in the spotlight jeremy that he has been clearly waiting for his entire life
0: yeah i mean so he comes to new york to do the today show with my dad and he and margo come in and you know they're these young parents they got three little kids at home and all of a sudden you know you know they're they're partying at studio 54 we went to new york city
6: and we went to studio 54 and we did all the things that as a midwesterner you read about or you hear about but you don't actually get to do
0: and you know they're on the today show and then they get a phone call from you know the summit from mount olympus in this era you know the ultimate recognition that you have made it, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And they're flown out to LA, and Barry's on the couch sitting next to Johnny.
2: Barry was on national television last Sunday as an imposter
4: in the lineup at the NBA All-Stars basketball game. And he pulled it off. Barry? Well, what happened was we were going in line for layups and McGinnis had given it to me, and I passed it back to him. And I'm looking and Brent Musburger looks at me and his facial expression with his eyes like came out of his head and said, who the hell is he? I can see him looking at the rundown. uh, Exactly exactly right.
0: And by the way, there's, there's no hint of nervousness, anxiety for a guy who is completely, you know, again, fish out of water. This is not his environment. He's an insurance agent. And now he's in there with Johnny Carson. You would have thought that he was like David Brenner. You know, yes. he's so no, comfortable Jeremy,
1: watching these <laughs> clips. I'm like, how is he so confident right. about
0: everything that's happened? Yeah, I, I, I wish I had a, a scintilla of Barry's <laughs> confidence, you know,
1: same. And so at this point, the question that Musburger had asked, right? Who the hell is he rightfully <laughs> asked? Right. It seemed like Barry didn't even want to so much answer that question explicitly as much as he wanted even
0: more people to just keep asking it. That's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, he's like, all right, I did this. This isn't, this is not the end. This is the beginning. This is what I am now going to dedicate myself to. I have created this alter ego, this um, Barry Superman who can, you know, play basketball, you know, with the All-Stars. What else can he do? Well, how about the U.S. Open? <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's, that's not too hard. In golf, t- tennis, you know, the, uh, that would have been reached. But he decides, and he's a pretty good golfer, says, you know what? Next up, the U.S. Open. I'm going to play at the U.S. Open. Seems like it might be a complicated operation, right? I mean, you know, but again, you would think. But again, he pulls it off. Well, Bremen,
2: the great imposter, is at it again, passing himself off this time as a professional golfer. And he actually played a practice round at the U.S. Open at Inverness.
4: I had noticed in the practice round that all you really had to do is walk around with a caddy carrying your clubs. And as long as you had a golf glove on and golf shoes, that you could basically go anywhere you want and pretend you're a golfer.
1: All right, after the break, the great imposter recruits a few great co-conspirators into his schemes.
5: The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today.
1: So Barry Bremen, a suburban father of three, an insurance agent/slash product salesman, he's found his calling as a sports imposter. He has snuck onto the court at the 1979 NBA All-Star Game. He has successfully infiltrated the golf course at the US Open. And now, having tasted fame, Jeremy, he can't go back. So what does he do next?
0: So Barry wants to do more of this. You know he's excited about the possibilities here. Today the All Star Game, tomorrow the U.S. Open. You know who knows? The Super Bowl is next, but it's going to be difficult. You know because he's made a reputation for himself. He's got to figure out a way to continue to gain access to these events, right? And um, at the same time, there's someone in the media interested in him continuing <laughs> to perpetrate these pranks. So uh, it, there's kind of a, a beautiful friendship-slash-slash-partnership-slash-criminal, um, semi-criminal relationship that flowers.
1: A relationship between your father, who is again the legendary reporter, Dick Shap, and Barry Bremen, who somehow... Somehow started getting press credentials to sporting events under names like Harvey Mills and Lester Schonberg and Harry Glass and whatever aliases you guys came up with.
0: Don't blame me. I had yeah, nothing I was to do say, with I this. I was, guys, I was I nine apologize. years old. I, I was <laughs> nine years old. Keep me out of this. I don't know what the statute of limitations is. <laughs> but but so now here's U the U thing. Though, right,
1: we're we're getting into. Yeah, it,
0: it's a fine line. It wasn't so much that my father would explicitly lie on Barry's behalf that he would not do. But if he was questioned about whether this Lester Schoenberg character, this Harvey Mills character, blah, 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 you know, was actually credentialed to sport magazine, which my father was then running or my father had ever heard (laughs) of him. Had he ever worked somewhere? There were ways that he found to avoid sharing the whole truth. So you got to remember, like, this was novel at the time, right? What Barry was doing, and, you know, he was on the biggest outlets you could be on, the Today Show and the Tonight Show, talking about this stuff. And so he had a following at the time. And and there were people interested in helping him out. Not just my father, but people my father introduced Barry to. For instance, uh, one person who who would return again and again to the Barry Bremen story uh, was George Brett, the Hall of Famer.
5: Your father always seemed to report on what he did. Your father told me about, hey, he's coming to the game. Let's help him out. I said, fine. But from what I understand, your father did not help him with his credentials. I remember that. He said he had to get those on his own because your father didn't want to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, he kind (laughs) of (laughs) was. Okay.
5: Well, let me ask you a question Do I like to have fun? Does it seem like I'm the type of guy that likes to have fun? Does it seem like Barry Bremen's the kind of guy that likes to have fun? Yes. Did your father like to have fun? No doubt. That's a match made in heaven. A match made in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And so Barry Bremen and Dick
1: Schaap and Kansas City Royals All-Star George Brett are now on this team. And what do they want to do next together?
0: Well, obviously, you know, if George is going to be involved, you know, it's got to be the All-Star Game, the baseball All-Star Game, the Midsummer Classic, one of the most important dates and events on the American sports calendar. And, of course, George would be there, obviously, representing the American League as its perennial third baseman in this era. And um, so, uh, you know, George uh, helped out.
2: Shortly before the start of Tuesday's All-Star Game, Barry Bremen slipped into
0: his uniform, number 13 of the New York Yankees. Barry's out there. He's on the field at the All-Star Game (laughs) wearing the Yankees uniform. You know, he wasn't going to be a Texas Ranger. He wasn't going to be a Cleveland Indian. He's Barry Bremen. (laughs) You know, he's bigger than that. So, So he's out there and he's shagging fly balls. And of course, he has a microphone on him because this is all part of a story that my father is doing at this point for NBC News. I got it. Tell me when the ball is coming. Where do I throw it? And and he's talking to these all stars, and it's very much like his conversation earlier in the year with Otis Birdsong. Hi, I'm Barry Bremen. This is my plan. This is what I'm doing.
4: I'm Barry Bremen. Hi, Barry Bremen. Yeah. I'm an imposter.
0: You could see that you know this guy is not here to do anyone harm uh the players react in a positive way <laughs>
4: yeah <laughs> <laughs> i forgot who were. Where you were and someone made it for me
1: no he's non-threatening and he's kind of inviting them to like be in on it too
0: right right hey we're just having fun here you want to have fun or at least don't blow the whistle on the fun and they never did they would never <laughs> do it. it was never the players best part for me Pablo probably this whole this whole story the whole thing the best line is uh Barrys introducing himself in the outfield to all the players hey i'm Barry Bremen i'm an impostor hey Barry Bremen i'm an impostor you know and it's Fred Lynn and Jim Rice and you know and they're like oh, hey Barry hey Barry and he he introduces himself to the lone representative of the Cleveland Indians a pitcher named Sid Mongi he was not um a superstar. His response to Barry saying, I'm an imposter is, I am too! <laughs> my Barry Bremen, I'm an Good. imposter. Oh, I am too, man. You're, you're an <laughs> imposter <No. Yeah>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite things ever.
1: So the great imposter manages to somehow not get caught all through batting practice, Jeremy, and it's not until they have to take a team picture that someone finally, finally starts asking questions.
2: There's been reports where he was tried to get in a team picture and Bob official of the American League office looked up there as soon as he stood in the back row and I was, Bob was standing right in front of me and Bob's eyes kind of went... And then he grabbed somebody and said, who is that guy?
1: He ends up becoming a guy that people absolutely are aware of, even if they don't immediately recognize him, Jeremy.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it just it it keeps it keeps getting bigger. You know, the the persona of the great imposter, the um tales of his exploits are told by troubadours and reporters. Epic poems, yes. Epic poems, you know, are recited. It's it's the Icelandic sagas. You know, he becomes <laughs> like A big, a big deal. He's on Larry King Live, you know, he's sitting there with Letterman.
2: He is actually a businessman from Michigan who calls himself the great sports imposter. Please welcome Barry Bremen.
0: He's a big figure around his community and everybody knows Barry Bremen now. He's one of those names, oh yeah, that guy, that guy, the crazy imposter. No, it, it becomes
1: this bit. It becomes a bit that seems to like Really, be endearing to everybody except for one specific person.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, most people found this, as you say, amusing, entertaining. But uh, anybody who spent time around the great Hall of Fame manager for the L.A. Dodgers, Tommy Lasorda, would not be surprised to know that uh, he was unamused.
4: Let's go. Okay, I'm sorry. What the f- are you trying to pull? I'm sorry. I've done it before.
2: I don't give a f- what you done. Get your I'm sorry. I
4: apologize.
1: Who the f- do you think you are? It's
4: just f- I'm
1: gonna go through banning fantasy. Practice. My f- get off the f- field. And Lasorda raises a good question, honestly, which is like, why isn't he in jail, Jeremy? Are people worried he will be in jail? Like at home, how is his wife? How is Margot feeling? How how is that on the home front going over?
0: You know, this was the late 70s, right? And it was kind of like, you know, the me generation and everybody had to find themselves and all that stuff. But at a certain point, I think it goes too far. (laughs) And I think Margot, certainly by this time, a few uh, stunts in, is feeling like Barry, Barry, we got three little kids at home. You're getting yourself arrested, you might get yourself hurt. You know, who knows what could happen? Where does this end? How did your wife
4: feel about all this? Well, at first, it was uh, when i had gotten caught in Seattle by the secret security. She's figured, Ah, he learned his lesson. He won't do anything against the law.
6: My dream came true. I thought, oh, maybe now he'll stop.
4: And I figured, oh, my God, how can I stop now? You know, as you said, uh, maybe I'm a frustrated athlete or a frustrated actor.
1: And so where does it end, Jeremy? What does it take for the great imposter to to
0: stop? Well, um, one of the things that contributed to the end of the great imposter era was, I think, what Barry Wood himself had admitted was an ill-advised stunt, which took place on national television, live national television. Tens of millions of people watching at the 1985 Primetime Emmy Awards. So at the Emmy Awards, Barry has this plan. Somehow, someway, he's going to be at the lectern at some point during the ceremony with whatever it was, 50, 60 million people watching, some absurd number, and accept an Emmy. And his hope was that he could figure out, you know, there's always somebody who doesn't show up. You know, at the Academy Awards, you know, it would be George C. Scott and Marlon Brando. Maybe there was somebody like that at the Emmys. And so... (laughs) So Peter Graves is uh, handing out the award, announcing the award for Best Supporting Actress in a Drama. And Peter Graves, Mission Impossible, you know, opens the, en- <laughs> the envelope and he says...
2: For Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series, the winner is Betty Thomas Hillstreet Blue.
0: <laughs> and on the tv clip it looks like she's right there but i think you know barry suggested to me at one point that he thought she was he didn't see her coming up to the stage and so he thought oh betty thomas must not be here and so he goes to lectern and he takes the Emmy award the statuette and he starts giving a speech an acceptance speech
4: He asked for me to accept this award and thank
0: everybody. And, you know, there is some confusion on the face of Peter Graves and others. There's a great cutaway, David Hasselhoff. (laughs) And uh, when Betty Thomas starts walking up, it's priceless. He does seem nervous. It's probably the only time that I think I saw Barry nervous, where he seems a little overwhelmed by the moment. He's like, I just want to thank the Academy, something like that.
4: And thank everybody else who is here. And thank you.
0: And I want to thank... Thank the Academy. I think he repeats himself. And he says, one more thing. I want to thank Dick Schaap.
4: Thank everybody, and especially Dick Schaap.
0: And meanwhile, Betty Thomas is almost on the stage now (laughs) to accept her Emmy. And it wasn't a nice thing to do. I mean, it was a big moment for Betty Thomas. She should have had her moment. And Barry would express, I think, genuine contrition for it. But in the moment, it it damaged the great imposter brand significantly. And it certainly didn't help my dad's either.
1: (laughs) And so while the great imposter is at rock bottom, it seems, and (laughs) he's he's pushed it a little too far, how is his brand doing among his kids?
0: You know, I think the kids uh, think that he's... um, the greatest dad ever.
7: My dad was our hero. And to see your hero
0: out there doing something is really, really special. They did then. They always did. Barry was their superhero. He was fearless. He had chutzpah. He had charisma. He was charming. Um, he was on TV. I mean, I was a cool kid at that point, right? Like, my dad was on TV. Your dad's not on David Letterman. He was, you know, he was doing all these Wild things. Barry refuses to conform, to be conventional. And what's more exciting for young kids than that?
1: It's weird because his persona of the great sports imposter made everything super fun and crazy and
0: every day was different. But at the end of the day, for me, he was a great dad. So look, now he's been doing it for a while. You know, he's lived out his dreams. He's, you know, he's he's made himself a celebrity he's gotten the attention that he sought that we could say that he craved nothing wrong with, with that. Right. Um, maybe he went a little too far. You know, the, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader thing. That was a big one. The Emmys thing was a bad one. The Dallas now,
1: Cowboys cheerleader thing where he dressed up as a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, to be clear.
0: Yeah. That one did not last long. You know, pretty much the moment, <laughs> the moment, you know, that he tore off, the, uh, the regular clothing revealing the cheerleader outfit underneath the security at uh, Texas Stadium um, took care of him. Yeah. And I think he was, in fact, banned for life from Texas Stadium. He was. He was arrested. It was, it was a tough one. He'd had some tough ones, right? And um, he'd done it. And now it was time to be Barry Bremen, the suburban dad, again. So why are you giving it all up?
4: Because uh, I've done it all. I've uh, had fun doing it. It was great. Age that... has something to do with it. Oh, oh yeah. you turn 50 tomorrow? Turn 50 tomorrow.
1: And so as Barry Bremen has hung up the cape, the great imposter is retired, and he's now in the suburbs being a dad. How did your families, the Shap family, the Bremen family, how did you guys stay connected in those following years?
0: Even when the great imposter essentially went into retirement, he and my dad, their friendship remained very strong. They loved each other, and the families became close, and I got to know Barry's kids well. We went to each other's celebrations and so forth and all of that, and my dad and Barry really were tight right up until the time my father died uh, in 2001. Then nearly a decade after my father died, Barry got sick himself. He
6: got sick in 2010. He had a lot of indigestion. uh, So we took him to the hospital and they did a full scan of his heart and said that you're, you know, super healthy, you're doing great. But a couple months after that, he really didn't feel well and was having a hard time breathing. So and went to the doctors, and that's when they found that he had stage 4 esophagus cancer.
0: You know, Barry fought. He was always optimistic. I remember talking to him at this time. He always thought um, he would find a way to get better, but he didn't, and he ended up dying uh, on his 64th birthday in 2011. ¶¶ and it, it was shocking for anybody who knew him because he was this powerful life force. And I think, you know, it was it was stunning for his kids, for Noah.
1: Cancer sucks. It's cruel. And, you know, I think until his last breath, I never thought he would die. To see your
2: superhero
7: go down, it's the worst feeling in the world. For Adam. It's the toughest day of my life. I didn't know what to do. I called no one. I called Aaron and we just we just started crying. I don't tell people a lot of this, but I always thought because I was in a wheelchair and had cerebral palsy that I basically took it for the team. I'm fine being in a wheelchair. I'm fine having my challenges, but don't take anybody else away.
5: For Aaron,
6: it was very hard on all of us a piece of your heart is broken and taken and the world is not as colorful with him not here.
1: And how did this land on you, Jeremy, as somebody who obviously had gotten close to him and his family?
0: Oh, it was heartbreaking. You know, of course, it's heartbreaking to see someone, you know, (laughs) someone suffer that way die so young, 64 is young. Right. And, uh, it just seems so cruel. You know, he, he, at that point, you know, was beginning to enjoy grandfatherhood. He had three little grandkids that bond with all three of them. And, you know, and in some ways, especially with Adam and, um, I really, I felt, I felt so bad for them, um, for Barry's kids and for Margot because, He was this enormous presence. I mean, you know, right? Your dad's typically enormous presence in your life, but it was almost uh, a different order of magnitude with Barry because of who he was. You know, when he died, you know, it's 10 years after my father died. If, If my father were still around, he definitely would have been, you know, one of the eulogists, but he was no longer with us. So I was among those who eulogized Barry at his funeral. Hi. Uh, my name's jeremy uh there are two kinds of people in this world those who respect authority and those who defy it we all know which side of the divide barry bremen fell on we are all going to miss barry the hardest part is no one will never again meet anyone remotely like him so you know it, it was a very sad day right you know um he said goodbye to Barry, paid tribute to the great imposter. And Barry loved being a dad so much. This guy who had made such an impact and left such a legacy, and the strongest legacy was certainly as a father and as a husband. And then years later, there is a, a twist in Barry's story. And um, it's unlike anything... <laughs> I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, Jeremy, the story that you just finished telling us here, it is insane, right? It is insane that Barry Bremen, the great imposter, actually existed. It is insane that he was able to pull all of these stunts off, stunts that are now totally unthinkable in sports today. But the most insane thing about all of this is that that is actually the less crazy part of the Barry Bremen story.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's not even close. Because what you have
1: discovered recently, and this is something that has never been reported, something that has only emerged years after Barry's death, it's so wild that we actually need to do a second podcast about it, something we have never done. So to hear the rest of the surprising posthumous turn in the Barry Bremen story... Come back to ESPN Daily tomorrow for more from Jeremy Schaap. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.